1: Mishma, Rob, welcome to the It's Anita Rani podcast. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you, Gosh! What an honour to be here. I'm delighted. Uh, you look gorgeous. Thank you. Can I describe what you're wearing? You've got some yes. awesome, like leopard print, bright red, funky dress on mm. with spectacles. Are they like cool, like glasses hung around yeah. you?
2: You look great. <laughs> so, oh,
1: thank you. It's yeah. so
2: kind of you. Yeah. Well, it's a Monday morning, but I do like to to like to make sure I'm expressing myself through what I wear. Is it important? It is to me. You know, I like that sense, I dress for myself, I always say that I always have done, Um, love fashion and love that opportunity to not sit in a box and not conform. I did for many years, actually, my earlier years of my career, because I felt I had to. But what I love about what I do now is um, I can be as creative as I do or don't want to and who says you can't wear trainers in a red leopard skin dress to work.
1: Let me check out what trainers
0: <laughs>
2: they <laughs> yes. are. They are fat trainers. Oh my to be god, fair. are they still Give on the bit, They are indeed. Blimey neck, Give me a bit of height, because I'm quite small otherwise. Me too. Yeah, I, I actually think I think mean, whatever anyone's individual, whether it's, you know, people do it with hair, they do it with shoes, whatever it is, I love that idea that you can self express and I love fashion. You me know. too. I'm not me a slave too. to it, but I think it's whatever I feel comfortable in and I feel is more reflective of me and my personality.
1: More than fashion, I think you've got great style. Oh, I think there's a big difference, isn't there? I mean, you can, we're not slaves to fashion, but yeah, you, love no. style, you know your style. It's interesting that you said that you conformed for a long time, but now you do what you want. Is it because you're kind of the boss now and you don't have to worry about what other people think? For those of you who, I should introduce who you <laughs> are, actually. Nishma has one of the most important jobs on planet Earth. You are the head of marketing at Google. I am indeed. I don't know if it's one of the most. Can important I just applaud you? That's, oh, thank you so much. That is like, can, actually, we're not sitting that far away. Let's yeah, high five can. that girl. Because it is. I met you. Uh, a, was it a couple of years ago? Yeah, couple we of years ago. That's right. And I just looked across and I thought, oh my god, there's an Asian woman, and she is smashing it at one of the most important companies on planet Earth right now. I need to talk to you. I need to know more about you. So that's why we are here. Oh well, thank you very much. Um, Yeah, do I
2: conform? I don't think it's got anything to do with the boss. I don't know if I ever feel like a boss, really. I suppose you get a sense of but I think it's more about confidence, actually. So I think it's there's two levels of confidence. One is a confidence in yourself. So as you say, yes, it's style rather than slave to fashion. So I have learned to dress for my shape and my size and what makes me comfortable. But it is also a confidence of self-expression when I probably, when, when I talked about conformity, I was working in an environment where I definitely didn't have the confidence. I definitely felt that I needed to do whatever I could to try and fit in and blend in or be taken seriously. And in my mind, part of that was what you wore. And actually, I think I was actually even told that you had to wear certain things, which was, you know, nowadays on hindsight, it's absolutely shocking. Um, and I And I work now, and have done for the last probably 10, 15 years in businesses and environments where freedom and self-expression is actually great, and I encourage it in anyone. You know, wherever you are and what you do is, it's how you work it.
1: Absolutely. Does confidence come with experience or age? Um,
2: I think it's a combination of both. I, I have. Um, I think there's an aspect of how you demonstrate your confidence, and I think there's certainly I have huge amounts of confidence in certain things. I have also spoken very openly about something I only kind of recognised a few years ago, which is imposter syndrome. And I would say without a doubt, it's hampered quite a lot of my uh, life, my thoughts, my well-being. And I talked about this quite openly about a year ago rather reluctantly, actually, I have to say, I was dragged onto stage by a a good friend who runs a marketing society and said, I want you to get up on stage and talk about this. I was like, is that really the thing to do? Because actually, if you suffer from imposter syndrome, the last thing you want to do is tell everyone that you do suffer from it, which is um, for those that do or don't understand what it is. Imposter syndrome is the idea that you are going to be found out that you're some kind of fraud. And I had spent a lot of my life um, equating either success or achievement to luck. And not necessarily looking at it as kind of hard work or skill or opportunity. Me too. So I'd, yeah, so I'd I'd constantly mm-hmm. think, oh my God, I'm going to get found out or this just can't be happening. I'm so lucky. And what that happens is it's not just a a kind of a slow erosion of your self-confidence or belief. It actually then, what I found, which is why I talked about it, is how it can impact your leadership and how it can impact, you know, I would overwork incredibly. I've always had, probably from my parents, a very strong and hard work ethic, but there does come a point where you can overwork. And then if I was driving for that perfection across my teams, actually what you do is you realise that by not taking account and not taking confidence in the work you're doing, that can impact not just your own onward trajectory, but actually the people that are working with you as well.
1: Is it women that tend to suffer from it more than men? Uh, Women,
2: yeah. So the the data and research shows that women definitely suffer from imposter syndrome more. Um, Others... You know, however you want to phrase it. So, where it's, you know, often it's phrased as kind of people who are more diverse will suffer it more.
1: I think I'm kind of un- underrepresented Under- voices. Oh, yeah, I prefer is the, that. You like
2: that? Underrepresented I... voices. And I loved Michaela Cole yeah. did a phenomenal speech. She, she did a McTaggart lecture at the Edinburgh TV Festival. And I loved her phrase of misfits.
1: Yeah, I'm a misfit. Yeah. yeah. Misfits are great. Yeah. That's a great word. Because uh, other, I've been using the word other. and. All of a sudden I thought why am I saying that? I don't even like the word diverse. No. So why am I using other? And then someone said underrepresented. It's like, okay, yes, that's what yeah. the, so that's what this podcast's about. Yeah. And I agree. I think other and
2: diverse and, yeah, and what do you I think talk about. Diverse? Well for me, my worry with those two terms are they force even more of a division. Yeah. You know, there is a sense of that divisional behaviour. So, actually, from a workplace point of view, I don't like to talk about diversity. I'd like to talk about inclusivity. Actually, it's a place for everyone because diversity then forces you into a road of
1: labels. Have you boxes. ever felt diverse? Um, no, not necessarily. No, I mean, they, well, do you know what I mean? I don't look in the mirror and go, "Oh, I'm diverse." I, I'm diverse. I'm BAME. I just don't look at myself no. like that. I mean, I- and also, I think the labels are so
2: complex. You know, I look at um, actually most of those labels, and I'd probably put multiple labels on myself if I was to kind of conform to that. But I look at my children um, and future generations, and they're not going to assign to any of those labels. They they won't say they're BAME. Um, they're not going to sign up to these. So for me, inclusivity is actually not just about the physical yeah. differences or that lack of representation. It is around. It's about humanity. It's actually around recognizing that that kindness and appreciation and, and a place for everyone, yes, um, and every being and every attitude, humanity and
1: a bit of humility as well yes. from the people who've had it very good for a yes, long time. Exactly. Um, so just just to get back to the imposter syndrome, because but by the way, this will happen a lot, especially when you're chatting to me, like like pinging off in different <laughs> like. But that's just the way our brains work, right? Loads indeed. of ideas coming together at once. Um, so how did it feel when you actually acknowledged that this imposter syndrome existed and do you still have it and do you still feel it now? So when when I
2: first, I was in a training session, at, in a classic kind of very Google training session where we had this wonderful person come to talk to us about all sorts of um, challenges of leadership or managing teams. And I imagine this is rife at Google because it's full of so many very talented people. So I can't imagine many people do come in and not suffer some, some form of imposter syndrome. But when I, when I heard her describe the behaviours, which is very much kind of a voice in your head it's that overworking it's that seeker perfections it's not ever being able to kind of take stock of your achievements it's always looking for the way you can improve the negatives actually it resonated with me immediately and I think there was some degree of relief where you go oh this isn't just me actually there's loads of people who feel the way I do and what I've learned is I don't think you ever get away from your imposter syndrome what you do is you just learn to manage it and funnily enough, I was actually at my husband at the weekend and I said something and he turned around to me and, oh, well, it sounds like that's your imposter syndrome from when you were a young girl. Yeah. And it's interesting that he recognises well, and I, you know, perhaps I'm even always aware of it. But what I talk about is actually how do you manage it and being more open about it and just seeing the behaviours and stopping myself at that point. Um, I've also talked about, which is a great tip someone gave me a few years ago, which is I have this yay me folder so like knowing you can tag your emails (laughs) so if I've done something really good or great piece of work my team has done wonderful and I get some wonderful feedback I tag it as a yay me and I put it away so when you're having that moment of self-doubt or you're you know you're faced with a really difficult situation actually I'll go back to my yay me folder and remind myself that yeah look I can do this and I'm here for the reason and I shouldn't keep suggesting that I'm going to get found out yeah I'm lucky actually I've earned my place and I've earned my rights. You're to so right.
1: And I'm so glad so many women are talking about it. And it tends to be the girls in my life that I have this conversation with. And I've got to that point now because we're all getting a bit older. So we've all naturally progressed in the careers that we're in. I've got a friend who's just made partner at a law firm. I've got a mate who's really high up at ITN. And all of them sit there going, I don't. I don't know what I'm doing. How have I managed to get this job? And I'm looking at them because you're really good at what you do, and you know what you're talking about because you've done mm-hmm. it for long enough. But you're right. It's across the board. Yeah. There's so many. So a yay me folder. I love that idea. Right. I'm gonna have a little yay me one. This <laughs> one. No one <laughs> needs to know about it. But just a yay me.
2: Um, so where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in Watford. Uh, born in Watford. Uh, youngest of three. I've got two older sisters. Mum and um, dad originally from India. They came over in the 1960s. Whereabouts? Which uh, from Gujarat. And they were both creatives as well, but kind of like most Indian families came over and sucked into the world of corner shops and entrepreneurialism.
1: Why? What did they do? What made them creative? Uh, So they were
2: both graphic designers by trade. And actually my dad, when he came over to the UK initially, worked in an ad agency, a creative agency. Did he really? So in a design sense, yeah, but it was paid a pittance and treated terribly, which is why he abandoned it. And was he the only
1: Asian guy there? gotcha.
2: You know, I, I can't imagine what it must have been like back in 1960 eight or what it probably was then and and dad worked in in a creative agency to have been that you know probably sole immigrant in the office with incredible design skills not as he says now you know it was never appreciated and paid a pittance but actually rather than being um disgruntled by that he just saw it as a lack of opportunity to to further his life and stepped out and off he went and when he tells me those stories and As someone who works very closely with that industry, it's interesting how I kind of look at that and see how much has changed, how much has and how do people feel about it now.
1: And how incredible that his daughter is now in a position to implement that change. Yeah. It's amazing. That in itself is incredible when you think about it. Absolutely. I think
2: there's something very interesting about actually immigrant parents and our generation because their strive to do whatever it took to create a stable home or situation that would allow us to go off and thrive anywhere and also to have three daughters which sadly as it was in from a community point of view it was kind of considered a burden rather than an opportunity and thank for my parents always railed against that and thought what a load of nonsense it was but and always said my dad always said, you know, his three daughters were worth ten sons. Absolutely. <laughs> daughters are so loyal. Yeah. Know and that. and me and my sister both all sisters are incredibly feisty, so I think he was right there. <laughs> <laughs> because you've been
1: brought up to be able to speak and express yourself. Yeah, exactly. That's the way to bring up your daughters. And, that, and so I think
2: yeah, so so grew up in um very humble, very um so challenging. So what did he do
1: when he when um when he stopped working in the ad agency then
2: they, you know, I think like a lot of Indian parents at that time went off and had a shop and various yeah. shops and, and how's
1: mum with all businesses. that and mum
2: was great mum was always by his side and helping him and you know the, a very loyal partner who's kind of as much you know it was 50-50 in terms of their efforts to, to do whatever they could and, and lots of ups and downs it was not a smooth and necessary happy ending uh, in, through most of it but actually for me and my sisters I think you know it certainly made us particularly strong as we were and we grew up in a little village just outside of Watford called uh, Bricket Wood, which at the time is not far from. Um I think it was actually in the National Front headquarters. Oh, God. So this was in the height of the racism in the kind of late 70s and 80s. And I just remember as a child, um, it, was a, it was a way of life, you know, a brick through a window. I remember even that stage being slightly fascinated by design and the simplicity of the NF spray of the logo, but, you know, bizarrely not necessarily understanding what it meant. Do
1: you know what, Nishma, it's so interesting you should say that because I grew up in um, quite a nice little bit of Bradford when I was quite little. But I'll never forget in our local bus stop, there was the end and always being fascinated by the simplicity of the <laughs> nf sign having no idea what it meant no. but just always seeing. i can see it to this no. day just sprayed on the bus stop
2: the oh, that's nf amazing sign. i
1: captured i think yeah. what's beautiful
2: about it if i look now obviously at the time i didn't but when you look back on that that is what i think cuts through that as children what the things you see and observe and you pick up on it's just incredible how that then shapes you onwards so having had you know it was a way of life. I think yeah. you know you, you accepted. We didn't live in a in a particularly Asian community. We were um, so you were targeted. So we were targeted. We'd have people come in to see like what did we actually look like? Cause they'd never seen anyone who wasn't ever white or where we'd come from, and who assumed you just ate curry and that was it. Um, but we integrated, and I think again, that was the thing you know, we, there was a pressure from your parents not in a bad way, but it was like, you know, integrate, you know, That's we need right. to kind of get on and do it. And I think we did, again, you know, that free thinking and free approach and, and survival mm-hmm. meant that we did, um, and education and the opportunities, then everything that comes with that. So I think we went on, I certainly went on thereafter, um, to university and, and beyond, and at that point, and again, it was. You know, I worked my way through it. There was not, sadly, there wasn't a financial security and background behind me. So you strove for yourself. You know, it was do or die, really, and get on with it, which I think has ultimately helped me kind of be very driven to succeed. How
1: much of your drive to succeed is from, you know, the experiences and certainly seeing your parents strive and work as hard as they could to provide for you? Absolutely. It's the question that's asked of most migrant children because there's a lot of the ones that are, just have this drive within them like how much of that comes from seeing your parents go through the struggles that they went through definitely definitely seeing the struggles they went through and we did as I say we
2: unfortunately didn't have the successes like a lot of migrant families had so we our struggle continued way beyond you know we certainly well into my early um, and what late teens actually so that sense of survival was both reflection of, of what I'd seen my parents go through but also my first-hand experience of it but Again, I suppose like them, it's that belief that you can change your fortune. And it wasn't an idea of striving to get rich quick. It was a sense of progression and railing against all the times that people told me that I couldn't do things. You know, so it was whether it was people saying, "Cause you know, we, we don't do creative stuff. We don't go into advertising. We don't do They like, don't even know what art. it is.
1: When, when I start like working in telly and they'll be like, when I was a researcher... When? What is that? Yeah. What is that? And like being people being really snooty towards my mother that my their daughter was even studying something yeah. like that.
2: Messing about, not messing. doing a proper degree or yeah. a proper vocation in life. And yeah, so there was there was all the negatives. And sadly, I think some of these still exist in quite a lot of communities, but a sense of that's not a career choice. You know, they, you're messing about and you're going to fail. Um, or even from teachers and things, because I think that sense of um, it just wasn't a place where you saw non-white people, In jobs or opportunities. You know, we still, like every other Asian family of our generation, would run to the TV when they saw someone. I remember. I didn't meet her not f- a few years ago, and I told her this story, but I still remember Shyama Pereira. Oh, remember yeah, Shiyama she's Pereira. total badass. She yeah, a I know. Hair, yeah, Blue,
1: now it's blue. Blue,
2: <laughs> and she was on Eastern Eye or something, and it was one of the few programmes that was just slightly more edgier than yeah. what was otherwise a stereotypical kind of, you know, um, laugh, I think, at immigrants, actually. She kind of was trying to challenge it, it as this feisty woman. I remember me and my sister thinking, God, she's really cool, and she's done it, you know, and that sense of, of opportunity. And
1: that's what you need. You need to see those faces. Oh.
2: In I am a lot of work I do now is all about see it believe it yeah. because the power of that image that story that representation particularly when you're young and you're growing up it totally shapes you know and I have to say even with my own, children i've got twins i've got boy girl
1: twins they're very cute oh they're beautiful (laughs) children
2: but when they were really little and i think you know as as all well-meaning parents you want to give them all the resources and all the Mm. opportunities and show them all that's possible i remember they were quite young they probably weren't even five and being horrified at how they'd already started to gender stereotype roles yeah and this is all from the influences that they would pick up through kind of tv Mm. or school or you know conversations and I remember meeting the wonderful ladies who've gone on to write the goodnight stories for rebel girls and got a very early copy of that and gave it to Anushka, who devoured it because it's so image rich and, and she loves um, art and creativity and her and her brother would fight over it the change in their perceptions yeah. of opportunity so the thing she, she would come down each day bounding down the stairs and one day she was going to be a, a motocross rider and then she was going to be a scientist and then she was going to go into space and Just that world of opportunity was incredible for her. But the change from my son as well to talk about saying, well, of course women can do anything. And I love that sense that they see all of that.
1: Yeah, you need to see it. I I can't remember what book it was in. Uh, You might have read it as well, but um, just how uh, a group of children in school, when they were asked to write stories, you know, seven year olds, whatever, and actually, all the characters in the Asian kids' stories would be white. Yeah. Because that's all they've seen. So you you learn from a very young age, because all the films you've watched, all the books you read, and all the stories you've read, that the lead character's always white. So even little Asian kids will tell the stories of little white children. Yeah. That breaks my heart. I know. That makes me really or if sad. Or it's the thing
2: is going, I'd like to be the good girl, or the pretty girl, who's yeah. the who's white the girl with the
1: blonde. You yeah. Know, because like,
2: otherwise, anything else was not considered as attractive or worthwhile. Like Barbie.
1: Sod Barbie. Sod Barbie. <laughs> I
2: love Barbie now, but...
1: No, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love better Barbie. But um, yeah, but never growing up. But yeah, so, I mean, for me, it was Bargie on the Beach. I watched yes. that film. Yeah. And I wrote to Mira Sayal as a 13-year-old. And she wrote back. And now she's a mate. Oh, I like, wonderful Mira, that? You? Yeah, yeah, she wrote to me, but she wrote back. Because that was the first time I'd ever yeah. seen anything. And I thought, my God... Asian women, Gurinder Chudder, Mirasal, yeah. they wrote this. They wrote, it's a full Asian female cast, really important. So how important is it for you now that you're in a position where you can employ people and you're creating teams to keep your eyes open for talent that is underrepresented? Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, so throughout my career, certainly the first... Um, so I've been working for about 25 years, and I'd said probably at least first 15, 17 years. I took the first what, 10, 15 was um, a real struggle and again it's interesting I don't think I've been aware of the struggle which I think was a great thing actually because it didn't ever hold me back because I was oblivious to it in many respects and one of my earliest jobs I worked at Teletext and then I went on as Teletext? Teletext Wow I oh, know that's really <laughs> old school Google for Google Yeah
1: Google it kids <laughs> if you don't know what Teletext
2: is Google it <laughs> It's how we all lived before um, but that was owned by the Daily Mail group and uh, I had, did a stint there as well and was faced with incredible bias throughout that period of time and it but it taught me a lot it taught me that sense of resilience and determination but also that the opportunity wasn't there for others and I think as soon as I moved into a position where I could do more about it I have made it a core part of my job and my passion and I think also being a parent you see actually I want So within my teams and within Google, more broadly, I've previously been the chair of women at Google, which is our community group internally. It was originally set up by Cheryl Sandberg. And it's just one off because I actually think we have to go broader than just gender balance. But it definitely is the, the focus on how do we recruit more? Because, again, we, we talk about this frustration of I can travel in on the tube and I arrive at work and work does not look like the tube. So we're not reflective or representative of, of London, particularly, or the world. And yet all our products and all our business is about for everyone. Yeah. So we've had to really take stock of saying, how do we recruit talent? Because actually the way that we were recruiting was very much a um, privileged universities, I would say. Yeah. And a process that wouldn't necessarily look in a harder way for talent or ask the right questions. So this isn't about making up the numbers. This is about never never lowering the bar but working harder to find the talent. And I constantly say this is we look for the very best, but it's about where we look and being actively looking into communities, looking at people who have a less privileged background.
1: Well, I find it really patronising when people say, oh, but if you are looking for people from different backgrounds, then surely you're just going to take someone on because, and they might not be as good. It's like, why would any company want to do that to their own detriment, take yeah. someone who's not as good? It doesn't, even make, it doesn't make any yeah. sense. Nobody would do that. It's yeah. It's it's yeah. There is, and I think I do genuinely not want to give
2: businesses kind of a cop out. That I think it's about understanding how to find talent yeah. and, and asking the right questions. This isn't just about finding the right so. What do you agencies. mean? So it's around, for example, so someone who hasn't had a traditional background of going to school, then university, then jobs, etc., because say, they've had to care. For someone at home or they've simply not had an opportunity so they've had to shortcut it for survival actually their experiences their understanding and approach their resilience is even greater than someone who's maybe done four or five jobs in a university degree and it's about asking the questions that go deeper to someone's behavior and ability and ability to learn rather than on rote what's on paper
1: totally, yeah. which doesn't
2: mean that i am absolutely in favor of of qualifications but for me it's got to be more than qualifications Mm. it has to be about your experience and and i you know we still have emotional
1: intelligence emotional intelligence you know we still
2: have we you know we we go beyond this but it frustrates me that the two-page cv with a list of achievements is still considered some kind of mark of your story whereas i would be far more interested in someone telling me around the failures their experiences their emotional intelligence their purpose how what wires them and not so much what they did but how do they do it
1: i broke my heart when a a friend a very very close family friend uh, was studying to to become a barrister and they have to do their pupillage and kind of you know go off and it's and then i met someone through working at the bbc who's doing something similar and daddy had got her she'd gone to work on hillary clinton's campaign and done this that and the other because you know lovely big house in Surrey and dad had connected and I just thought about my little Asian mate who's trying to compete with this person I just thought you haven't got hope in hell no. just not going to get there because you, your parents are both you know incredible working class doing everything they can just to make ends meet got no connections anywhere how on earth does that person yeah. stand a chance and that's where there is there isn't change yeah. and that's why in terms of driving change so there's you know for me it's about a
2: number of things one is around role modeling you know, so I have heard so many times people talk about the impact that, that you have had on young Asian girls. Mm. You know, they look at Anita Rani and go, wow, you know, you're not conforming to any of the stereotypes. You're breaking boundaries. You know, you're doing different things. And they need to see more and more women and men or whoever diversity, inclusivity, underrepresented, however you want to phrase it, but they've got to see that and it's got to feel real and tangible. It cannot be the edge case. It's got to be as many as we can and to demonstrate that. So there's a lot of work that from quite a young age I think we need to do more of and I love some of the work that the BBC have done. I loved the Asian, the the season just done, the Asian summer season. I think more and more of that that, I've heard everyone, not just Asians, talk about this. I love the fact that I've heard so many people talk about it. So that that understanding and a breadth of visibility is super important. I think a lot more work needs to be done in terms of educating communities and schools. Um, I spoke last week at the head teachers' conference, uh, which is not something I would usually do, and it was quite an interesting audience, but I was there very passionately delivering this idea of, you know, how do you future-proof your kids? And I think, you know, everyone wants to go, right, well, yeah. You know, do they need to go and learn how to code and stuff? And I said, like, do you know what you need to do? is just teach them some really good life skills yeah, and think about actually what's going to happen in years to come. And part of that needs to be done more in partnership with communities. It is still, unfortunately, particularly with Asian communities, the idea of science and math and, and professional qualifications and skills are, is the only route. And there's a bit of me that wants to go... Not really. Actually, yeah, where's it, your creativity? Because those will be the opportunities in the future. Well, just and
1: let them shed the terror, because yeah. it seems it, they just they're just so frightened of allowing their children to experience life and the world that it's just this control. I can't, you know, I don't blame them in some respects as parents, but now kind of second, third generation, let's yeah. let it go. And but, it is—it's that second, third generation where. We're
2: not necessarily quite in the grip of survival that that first one was. So I think, yeah, that experimentation, the opportunity to fail, trying different things, that anything is possible, not closing off doors and opportunities too early. So, yeah, role modelling, that sense of understanding, creating much more awareness around Journeys, you know, where people get to, it's so great to hear. And then for me, it's the active work within businesses and employers. It's actually how do you help them create the right culture? um I lobby hard and give businesses a really hard time about their recruitment. I bet you do. I don't want to mess with you, Particularly <laughs> <But thinking laughs> in the creative industries, because for me, yeah. the greatest output of change, you know, it's a great media. Stories, advertising changes the way we think. Mm -hmm. It changes our perceptions. So if you can put that skill and responsibility into the hands of those who can genuinely reflect it. um, Like Nike have done brilliantly. Like like Nike have done, like great filmmakers are doing and script writers and um, content creators. For me, they will genuinely change Mm behaviour. And so for me, a lot of my effort has really been focused on saying the more inclusive, the more representative I can make
1: the creative industry the bigger the gain and opportunity going forward completely agree with you and behind the scenes in the creative industry why wouldn't you want to have the kind of biggest broad spectrum of talent working for you because that in itself will breed creativity why would you want a homogenized group of people coming with the identical experiences sitting there writing scripts and yeah. coming up with tv ideas or That's whatever not... it is it just doesn't make any no. sense and there has been a gentrification
2: of particularly the ad industry but I would also say kind of script making filmmaking so to your point actually those opportunities being given to you know within a set and you know someone's kids etc versus you know we're still too embarrassed to talk about class
1: yes and I'm
2: like we have to talk about class it is not a bad thing it is a reality of the world that we live in and it's not a shame it's actually what do we do more to bridge classes so that it doesn't become and us and them, yeah. but actually recognizing and celebrating the differences, so that there isn't this um, kind of animosity between the two. You know, for me, it's around the richnesses when you have people from who've had different experiences, different upbringings, and bring them together. And I now will talk about my class, where I perhaps haven't done previously in the yeah. way I didn't talk about my colour for not, years. Which
1: is and that really, and I'm the same, Nishman. This is something I've been thinking about a lot recently and talking to a lot of mates about. For years, um, it was a it was a shame. That I carried because of my, the color of my skin and it really saddens me and angers me that society made me feel like that mm. now nothing makes me feel prouder than the color of my skin yeah. like understanding who i am and my background and all the trials and tribulations that that brought has empowered me now yeah. but it took a long time to oh, get well, to a that. long time and that's why
2: i love seeing the younger generation who yes. celebrate yes their unapologetic identity. unapologetic in a way that i hid it so desperately for
1: years and years and years when people did ask me whether I ate curry every night, I'd say no, but actually, I did. Yeah. And I love it. <laughs> and I love it. I love eating Indian food. It's my favourite food on earth. And it's liberating to finally say, yeah. and I, I agree, I love seeing the younger generation who just don't care, and they, no. they're owning it. And, and so they should. Yeah. So what does the head of marketing mean? What do you do? What's your job? I mean, it sounds, it's such a powerful position. I don't know, I don't care whether you don't think it is, and it is. <laughs> it's, it's the, well, I, so the bit that I, so,
2: so the Google's a huge organisation, and actually I look after the UK, for both Google and YouTube, for all of the stories that marketing we do, to businesses. If you think of the millions of businesses that use Google as a way to grow and connect and create jobs, and through lovely creative stories and adverts. So I help tell stories and share the innovation and the opportunities that we can with businesses. I think at Google, the the premise has always been, actually, we build great products. Um, And I I love some of the stories about why we've built something that we we have. But the reality is, they only become really amazing products when you put them in the hands of other people. Because that's when they do wonderful things. And Sifemes isn't just about, you know, the clicks of selling more from e-commerce point of view, which is great because it's facilitating growth the economy and more jobs but actually there's also that whole angle of storytelling and creativity and that sense of purpose and being able to find you know so I spend quite a lot of my time not just telling those stories and and working with the industry so I do lots of industry engagement pieces talking to the leaders of businesses and and creative businesses as well are you often the only
1: woman in those environments
2: or is it changing Um, sometimes I I still have to I, I still I'm shocked that there are times I do turn up and I am still the only one, but less so. It is, it is improving. Mm-hmm. But, you know, still, you know, you're talking one or two rather than just one. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not we're not at tipping point yet. There's certain parts of the industry I think there are. But what I love the most is that opportunity to be able to inspire that change. And um, technology at the heart of a lot of the change that's happening and that marriage with creativity and what that can bring us in the future is super exciting. So I have a really diverse job in terms of you know yes there's the, the kind of more classic kind of office part of it but i do get out and about constantly looking for new talent and new ideas and new opportunities and what's interesting culturally you know what what are people engaging with what what do people how do people feel and think you know i think that sense of curiosity around actually how do we want to engage and and work and communicate and buy and shop or whatever it might be you've got to be really curious and fascinated by people.
1: And, you know, yeah, and tap into the zeitgeist. And it's changing so rapidly at the moment. We're living through this incredible period of change. It's like every other day something is happening. Or, you know, what's going to happen in six months? What Mm. will we be tapping into? So what is the future? Well, it's
2: so hard to predict. Oh, gosh, I wish I could. But I think, you know, for me, it's a sense of never fear the future. You know, so there's lots of, whether it's artificial intelligence or machine learning, which are creating greater efficiency in our lives. You know, actually, since... Way back, there hasn't been a genuine displacement of roles. It's about a changing and evolution. So things that you free up our time, give us time to do other things. I think that sense of how we use our time differently, how do we connect? You know, I think there's still a lot of responsibility that needs to come with technology and how we communicate you know we, I've, I've looked at a lot of stuff around studies of loneliness and what's the you know opposite because
1: it's not necessarily togetherness it's that sense of intimacy it's actually how do we bring that back to us yeah because um, I did a documentary in Japan called no sex please with Japanese and it's about their population decline and I met a lot of kids young not even kids hang on these guys were in their 30s who they're happier engaging with uh, a, a, a computer game Called Love Plus, Nintendo computer game, than having a real girlfriend. Oh my goodness. I know that. Yes. Oh, so how are we going to stop really ourselves sad. from disappearing into yeah. a world where we're just well, engaging I with screens?
2: That's what excites me, because I actually think for me, I do see the blend of worlds. I am absolutely a supporter of this idea that it's not a digital world versus a physical world. I think it's about the two. It's about how do you bring technology to enhance your everyday living? And most of the way, we have to remind people to come back to that personal connection, you know, to sit opposite each other like we're doing now and to never sacrifice that. Because I think actually, particularly, I think, you know, young men, and, and young women, but young men particularly, it can be a challenging time. Mm. And if they haven't been given the tools and opportunity to have that sense of expression, actually they will rely back to digital ways of kind of that faceless communication. But of course we know that fosters poorer behaviour. So I think there's, I think a lot more needs to be done, that sense of responsibility around technology. I think, I think it's anything like... The advent of TV or the telephone, and we have to adjust and, and make good. And but every I, time
1: they come around, people think it's the devil's eye. Oh, it's you know, it's
2: all going to end and we shouldn't <laughs> use it. And it's just getting sensible because it's recognizing the good and the bad and, and managing the bad and kind of preparing the good. But I think for me, the most exciting thing is I do genuinely think there will be a return to some of that more authentic storytelling. Mm of us not necessarily painted by numbers and being formulaic about it but actually going deeper and having those connections and bringing people together I think people will seek that out more because it's magical I mean I think like moment, this yes, you mean like, like this, this podcast
1: <laughs> that's what people want to hear that I think you're right I mean in my travels I think especially just in my industry work at television people want to, that country file that I work on which I love but it's mad that it's the most popular factual program on telling. but i think it's because people want to connect with something that's just innate in us yeah. whether it is being in a field or just hearing people's stories yeah. and knowing a bit more about them like who are they how did you get to where you are so that's exciting to see how you will incorporate that into what you do mm. yeah and i do
2: think those those um Podcasts, particularly, and or what we tune in and listen to, or what we watch, is people want to have that sense of involvement and curiosity. And I don't think actually human behaviour and as we are as humans has never changed. No. And just how, how we work around these things with technology and, and what it brings us.
1: I just think we're living in quite cynical times at the minute and people want to have things around them that are less cynical. Do you mm. know what I mean? That they yeah. can really connect with when there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world.
2: I think that sense of purpose, though, what I love particularly, particularly when I speak to some of the younger people we're recruiting in or I meet, is a the bravery and confidence they have about being who they are, celebrating their own... Cultural identity or their identity, but also really standing for something and having that sense of purpose is I just feel that it's easy to get sucked into the media that will tell us everything is terrible. And it is, there's lots of great challenges that we face. But I would always like to say, actually, if you just look around the corner, there's yeah. also this happening, and
1: we need to do more
2: to foster that.
1: Totally. So, the other thing I want to know from you, as someone who is so brilliant and has this really important and exciting job, you also have two children. So, how do you manage your time? um well I'm very, not
2: necessarily very well I'm quite slightly chaotic but I think that adds to the creativity um I'm very fortunate in that I have uh my parents and my sister who step in and have been a huge support so as I said I have twins which is challenging I won't I won't die. I mean, when they're tiny it's really difficult and I had I was very lucky that my parents were nearby and prepared to kind of step in and help and uh they've really been the constant throughout my kids life and my sister um, also, as, as they've got older, my sister also helps out in, in formally as, as kind of primary carer with them. But I couldn't do it without them because it means, A, I know they're being amazingly looked after, usually better. And they love and have a great connection in a way that I didn't necessarily have. You know, I didn't have that extended family. It was just us. So they have this broad set of people influencing them. But also that support for me to go off and it. My mum will still regularly say to me, you're working too hard. She, Why do you have to strive so hard? And it makes me laugh every time. So I'm like, mum, you want me to do really well. And she's like, yeah, I do. But I just worry you're working too hard. Oh,
1: my mum says that, which makes me <laughs> laugh as well. It's <laughs> like, you made me like this. Yeah, Come exactly. On. And then you're like try to pull the reins back.
2: But she's great. And my, which um, is particularly it's been so important because my husband works in Manchester, so he's away during the week. So it is a bit single mum during the week, but I am yeah, I couldn't do it without the support network I have. And therefore I'm always hats off to the many women who don't have that because mm. it is hard. And I think, again, that sense of um, unrealistic ambition that you have women who can balance it all and do that, you can't do it. There are moments you have to give and you prioritise and you work out what is and isn't important and you Just you find a way and you muddle through it, and constantly every day I'll ask myself, Am I in the right place? Am I being a good enough mum? Am I doing enough at work? And you just have to find peace.
1: God, we give ourselves a hard time all the don't time. We? Yeah, imposter syndrome. Am I good enough? <laughs> what's going on? What's happening next? Gosh, we do that's need to. That's why I give just us... go
2: shopping then, and yes! then so that's it. Exactly.
1: Get those beautiful, shopping and, and gin, <laughs> and then that's
2: kind of the answer to it. And dancing now you're talking <laughs> my language. Oh,
1: let's not start about dancing. My god. Um, what's next for you? I mean, obviously, you're going to. Google marketing, you've been in the job not for, for nearly five years, yeah. Uh, yeah, I
2: love it. There's there's it, there's every day so is different and evolves. Here? Oh,
1: there's always more, there's of always course. more, there's
2: always opportunities and expansion and we're we're trying to do so much as well i think you know as we evolve as a business we've just celebrated our 20th how anniversary do you ev- how
1: much more do you want to involve google i was thinking about this what's a bigger brand than google probably like the catholic church you know you're that <laughs> <much>. <laughs> yeah not
2: really like
1: catholic Church. but i think you know if i look at youtube as well there's still which is now owned by google right? which is
2: yeah. owned by google how much did you buy it for um, not a lot Come 11 years ago snip i would have said that back then and it's i think also no one could have imagined it would evolve into the thing that it is today and i I think even then we're still defining what it is because actually so much of it's determined by how we consume content you know we go home and watch netflix we watch bbc i play a catch-up you watch tv you know whatever it may be and there isn't a a full enough understanding around that behavior but also it's things that I love it. Of course, there's all the entertainment content on YouTube. It's all the things you learn. And I love finding stories about people who have made things or done things as a result of learning from YouTube. So I think there's still lots and lots to do about engaging with businesses and individuals and communities and new talent. From a creative point of view, I love the breadth of, you know, new talent, but also more established talent having to embrace a digital life. And yeah. it's just, you know, what do they doing? And I love meeting, you know, lots of established talent who say, actually, you know, how do I get onto this? What do I do? And
1: how can I engage with audiences? It's so funny because whenever I get young people coming up to me and saying, how can I get to do what you do? How do I become a presenter? I'm like, well, how, if I was you now, I would just... Get myself up there, create my own content. You don't have to do what I had to do because it was mm-hmm. so limited back then to become a TV yeah. Now, just get yourself out there, right? The opportunities Absolutely. are it's so exciting. Yeah. If you've got a story to tell,
2: tell it. And that talent and that's where I think the talent then, you know, bubbles up to the surface. Yeah. And where does it go from there? So I love seeing that. So I think, yeah, loads more at Google, loads. I hope I will not rest until I'm really making uh, an impact in terms of driving that change. So um sadly the inclusivity work will keep me busy for quite a few years still I've got quite a long way to go in terms of changing those numbers but I think influencing education influencing employers and communities around the breadth of opportunity and supporting young women and 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 young boys actually I think it's about both of them but particularly I do see you know again parents to boy girl twins it's fascinating to see how Nushka has lacked some of the confidence just and that's a That's just how she is, you know, and and Oscar doesn't at all. And they have different kind of uh, strengths and weaknesses. But actually, it's made me think a lot about, as you say, we give ourselves a really hard time as women. And what more can we do that? And then also at the other end, you know, as we all get older, as I am as well, and you get to the other end of the other kind of cycle of life, it is thinking around that next stage of care and opportunity. You know, I don't pigeonhole myself into I certainly when I was younger would not have thought that I'd be the 45 year old that I am today mm-hmm. and I don't think I'll be the 50 year old that I thought was a 50 year old so we're
1: changing and breaking
2: norms so I love yeah there, there's loads to do still there is
1: <laughs> I totally agree with you and it, it excites me it, I'm excited about life I'm excited that you are where you are and that you are one of those women who is going to be Influencing and creating change. Um, more power to you, Nishma. Oh, thank, a you. Well, thank you. Thank you to you. You're amazing. I'm crowning you. Don't tell everyone there's not actual, an actual crown. I'm <laughs> crowning you a Rani's Rani. Oh my God, that's the best thing you, ever. You're a queen. <laughs> I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. no problems. I've loved it. Thank you so much.
2: And good luck with this. This is amazing. Thank you. Oh, thank for you. you doing this. Thank you.